So Money episode 584, Ask Farnoosh with special guest co-host Rochelle Magadan. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Happy Friday, everyone. It's episode Ask Farnoosh, June 9th, 2017. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and we are on a nice little run here, inviting some of you onto the show. This is week two of having a guest co-host, and I'm having a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody for reaching out, responding to the emails and the the inquiries that I put out there about, hey, if you'd like to co-host with me these Friday episodes, you can take the hot seat. And this week, this Friday, I'm privileged to bring on the show a really loyal listener who's been with the show for quite a while. And um, she was one of the first to jump at the opportunity to co-host with me when I kind of mentioned it briefly on the podcast a few weeks ago. She went above and beyond, let me tell you, applying for this gig, even though it's an unpaid job. It's just, uh, <laughs> it requires you to take time out of your normal work week. And I mean, literally, she sent me audio clips. She sent me a bio. Rochelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's amazing to be here today. <laughs> I can I can hear you're smiling over across yes, the airwaves. Sure. So um, I just want to give a little shout out. That is one of uh, Ramit Sadie's briefcase techniques. So if you're not already following Ramit Sadie's um, email list, you should totally get on that. His stuff really works. I, I subscribe to the show, to his emails. <laughs> I bought Zero to Launch. I'm, I've had him on the show. So does he actually say smile over the phone? No, it's the briefcase technique where you um, apply for a job and you give extra. So like, here's a little bit of something that it would look like if I worked for you. Oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> And also smiling over the phone helps too. That should be part of um, the technique. But no, that's that's true. It was a total home run for me and for you when I got your, and it wasn't, you know, it was just enough, you know, it was like very much a friendly, brief but you definitely went the extra mile and I really appreciated that. And, um, I did listen to the audio. You sounded lovely, which is always helpful. I mean, I don't expect these co-hosts to be broadcast ready. And I have people who've written in and saying like, I used to be a radio disc jockey. I've, um, you know, and that's wonderful. That's, it's like a bonus, but, uh, <laughs> I'm really just hoping to connect with the, with the authentic listener who loves the show and who wants to maybe help me sift through some of these questions that we have. And we have a number of questions this week, people asking about how to get out of debt, how to save, when is it a really a smart time to dip into your savings? Um, someone's asking about how to switch banks because they're not so thrilled with their bank services. So uh, I thought it'd be fun, Rochelle, if you, well, first this, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I apologize. Let's learn mm-hmm. more about you. I want to, I want you to brag a little bit about yourself. Take this, take the spotlight a little bit and tell us a little bit about you and why you're interested in personal finance. It's not everybody who's interested in money. It's it's a certain kind of brand and breed of, of individuals. So tell us about what draws you to this space. So yeah, I have just always been really fascinated by uh, financial psychology or behavioral psychology with money. Um, and so I've 
it's always been a weird quirk of mine. Um, and there's not very many people you can really talk to about that. So this is an amazing dream come true for me to be able to um, just really geek out over personal finance. Um, and so when you asked me to send a bio, I really didn't have anything ready. So I threw something together. I uh, took a um, headshot to send in. And then I just threw together a quick Facebook page called The Art of Love and Money. And so I hoping to start a financial book club. And if you connect with me through the link, um, there's a survey and I'm asking what kind of books we want to read and um, what pace we want to read at. And so I'm really hoping to get it down to actionable items um, and get some listeners to read the book along with me, but then also make actionable items so that we can really start to change our, our financial world. I love that. Okay. So go, everyone go to Facebook, Facebook, Facebook.com and search for art of love and money. And it's a group that you started, a that, um, you can be invited to join or just click to join. And I've actually offered Rochelle, I've offered her to come on to the book club via Skype or zoom or whatever, and be a guest uh, speaker, if they, anyone wants to, they want to read my book. So hopefully that'll get you some uh, people to sign up because I will, yeah, I will do that. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Okay. And tell us what about like who, where you live. I mean, don't, don't get, you know, to give us your, mm-hmm. your social security number, but you sure. know, tell us a little <laughs> about yourself. No. Um, um, I live in a small town called Rock Island, Illinois, which is in the Quad City area. We're about three hours from Chicago. And um, I've been working for a engineering company. I do 3D uh, piping design for a mechanical engineering company. And I've been here for about 16 years. Um, I really like the people I work with and the uh, work is um, interesting. Um, but I've also always been just looking for something a little bit more creative. So um, kind of starting to look around how to pivot that and merge kind of my technical skills with my more creative side. I like that. Has the podcast been inspiring at all? There's been so many people coming on the show talking about pivoting lately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get uh, my hands on the book pivot soon and get through that. Um, I have a, a lot of interest in how to sort of merge those two worlds with the um, branding and, um, I, I'm assuming that branding is the same as like digital presence. It's part of it. It's a big part of it now, because when people want to understand your brand, the first thing they do is they Google you and they look at all the platforms you're on. So there has to be some kind of, I think, symmetry with wherever you're on, you know, your own website, Facebook and the social media platforms that, that you are, putting your best foot forward, that there's a cohesive story behind who you are. And, you know, so wherever anyone's finding you and looking you, they get who you are. Mm -hmm. There's not this confusion, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's going to be my big challenge because my two worlds are so separated. Um, So, but I'm looking forward to exploring that some. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to having this episode with you, sharing the stage with you. And I thought it'd be fun if you could guide me through some of the questions. Our first question is from Melissa. The good news Melissa has to share is that she's been able to increase her salary by almost 80% in the last four years. Thanks to the podcast, she works in nonprofit in the nonprofit space, but she's having a problem. What's the problem? 
So she says, unfortunately, despite being able to make more, she's having difficulty living within her means because she says she treats herself and others way too often. And so now she's in a lot of debt and she has several goals approaching her 30th birthday coming up in six weeks. Excuse me, in six months. (laughs) We have a little more time to work with. Okay, good. Six months. And um, so she would like to pay off all her debt up her emergency savings and contribute more to her retirement. And she wants to know if that's unreasonable to do in this amount of time frame. In what six, do you think she should do? Yeah. I mean, anything's possible, right? We just had a guest on the show, John Capitaneus, who's a producer at ABC News. Actually, the episode aired last week. And, you know, he did get out of over $100,000 in debt in two years. So I don't know how much debt she has. Do we know? Yeah, she owes $3,400 to one credit card, $2,500 to another, $2,800 to her dad, and $4,800 to her mom. So in total, she owes $13,500. Yikes. Okay, well, again, she if she makes a good salary and she does make adjustments, big adjustments, and she prioritizes the debt... Of course, she can get out of this debt, you know, but it's just a matter of, as John said on his episode, John Capitaneus, if you didn't listen to it, go back and, and I, I highly recommend that, that episode. He had a lot of great advice about how to like kind of get the mindset for getting out of debt. And one of the big takeaways that I remember from his conversation, from our conversation was that you can get out of debt as quickly as you want. It's just a matter of how uncomfortable you're willing to get. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that you have to live a painful life, but you know, getting outside of your comfort zone is uncomfortable. Melissa, being the I got it gal at the bar and getting your friends gifts, that's got to go. That's not something you do in your 30s anymore. (laughs) I did that. Mm -hmm. Well, in my 20s, I was, you know, and you want to be generous and I get that, but you also have to put yourself first. And as I always say, no one cares more about your money than you. You think you're going to go out with your friends and you're that you're that loyal friend who's always getting a round of drinks or picking up the dinner tab. They're going to grow accustomed to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just going to be a cycle. So stop that cycle. Don't do that. Instead, treat your friends in other ways from time to time, but don't create this expectation. If you do it enough, they'll expect it from you. And then it's a hard thing to cut to, to stop. I mean, do you relate to this at all, Rochelle? I feel like in my 20s, I did fall into some peer pressure, sure. spend my money the way that I thought I had to because I was wanting to keep up socially. Yeah, I think it's incredible that she's been able to increase her income 79% in the last four years. That's amazing. Incredible. Um, but, you know, maybe she's feeling a little guilty and she's trying to even the playing field. So maybe she should spend some time exam- examining that as well. And oh, that's just a really good sure- point that she's okay with it, um, where she's at, because she doesn't owe it to anybody else to pick up the tab for them or to treat them. So first she needs to take care of herself and then spend freely with what is left after she hits her major goals. I agree. And I think that, I mean, that's such a good point. I think there might be some kind of psychological correlation between, Mm -hmm. you know, earning more than your friends, perhaps, and feeling as though you got to pay it back or <clears throat> look out for your friends. And I know that when I was writing my book, When She Makes More, that did come up in some of my interviews where the women I interviewed who made more than their husbands, and in some cases, their friends, they mm-hmm. felt this responsibility or almost this pressure to, you know, to, to pay for dinners when they went out with their friends, to go overboard for birthday gifts because mm-hmm. they felt like, 
I don't know. I, they didn't. They didn't have this real <clears throat> sort of appreciation ownership for their money. They felt like they had to spend it on others, which is very much a female thing. I think for sure. Um, I'm going to just generalize and say that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have a feeling, at least in my world and my experience, that women tend to be a little more um, just uh, quick to to spend on others. Mm-hmm. And it comes from a good place, but it can backfire. And in this case, Melissa, you have other things that I think should take priority and you know it. So it's really about making a plan, figuring mm-hmm. out what in your budget you can do without. And um, I would also say, tell your friends that you're doing this. They may not know that you have all this debt and who knows, they could end up being a real support system around you to help you get out of this and be, have like accountability partners. So don't yeah. feel like you have to hide this from anybody. Yeah, that's a great point. And that will also help them to know that. Um, that's why she's not picking up the dinner <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or you're not even going out to dinner, uh, for a while with your friends. And so, um, I think it's doable. I think it's a little aggressive, but then again, you know, it's all, it all comes down to what you're willing, what your trade-offs will be? What are you willing to trade off in order to make this a priority? I think it's a great gift to give yourself as you enter your 30s to enter your 30s debt-free. I would start with the credit cards um, and then I would work on the personal loans with your parents. Um, And then I would work on once you've gotten out of the debt to rebuild, to build savings. It's great that you're contributing to your retirement account as well. Uh, we I see that in her um, extra information. Yeah. But um, yeah. And, and keep us posted, Melissa. I'd love to be an accountability partner for you. All right. Yeah. It'd be great to hear back. So Nikki is next and she has federal student loans and she's totally overwhelmed. What do you suggest aside from paying them down as aggressively as possible? She wants to know why do they take advantage of students with such high interest rates? She feels as if she's being punished. Yeah. That's a whole other episode, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole student loan debacle. And it's a recurring theme on this show. We hear from so many people that are either still grappling with their loans or have paid off their loans after a lot of intensive planning and uh, paring down their expenses. It is what it is for now. And uh, it's it's just a broken system, I think. But I think – that one of the best ways to knock down that principle is to like a need, like a mortgage when people say I want to pay off the mortgage faster <clears throat> excuse me put more towards the principal so pay the minimums every month but then if you have extra money contribute an extra whatever a few hundred dollars a month towards the principal, exclusively the principal, not interest and principal because that's going to bring down the balance a lot faster And I'll tell you what I did, you know, when I was saddled with $30,000 in student loan debt at age 23, of course, it's minuscule compared to some of the balances I'm hearing about these days, but it was a lot for me then. I was making like $18 an hour. Um, That doesn't include uh, the tax payment that I was making. Mm -hmm. But I took on side gigs and that I looked at that as a way for me to aggressively pay down the debt and knew that it was just for a little while. And that's how I justified it. I had a master's degree and I was still babysitting. But you know what? It's what you do. And I went in knowing that I was going to take on this debt. So I didn't feel like I was being punished. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was just sort of doing my responsibility now. I went in with 
open eyes, took on these loans, knew what the, where the interest rate was going to go. And I had to make peace with that and reconcile that. And I think rather than looking at this and feeling bad for yourself or wanting to point fingers, just approach it very matter of factly. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. You got your education and your education is affording you, hopefully, an advancement in your job or wherever you want to go with it. Um, and now you have to kind of do the work to pay off those loans. And the faster you come up with a plan and the more aggressive you are, the sooner I think your real life can start. And that's exciting. Yes. And some background information with Nikki, it looks as if um, in October, her balance was 98600 And as of February, it's increased to 100000 So it looks to me as if the amount being paid a month is not even covering the interest that's being charged. Yeah. So that's where we need to start first. So in the question where it says, aside from paying it down as aggressively as possible, I would say, unfortunately, that's really the only thing. Yeah, there's, I mean... I would go back to the, the, I would start with the federal loan and see if there's a way to income adjust your monthly payments. Go to ibrinfo.org. And I would be surprised if you didn't qualify because it does sound like you are carrying more in debt than you can really handle with your income. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as far as the private loan, I would look at, look at something like a SoFi, SoFi.org. Org, I believe it's SoFi.org. They are in the business of helping you basically refinancing your student loans. And we've had the CEO on our on the podcast. Basically, they're a new finance company that allows you to refinance your student loans with a lower interest rate. But you have to qualify. And I know that they look for people with pretty strong credit score. So if you do feel confident that you have a good credit history, you can go in and apply and hopefully you'll you'll get some sort of relief that way. Right. And in the meantime, um, perhaps do a online calculator and just make sure that you're keeping up with the interest because if they're charging more interest every month, you're never going to get ahead. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, that balance, that statement that she gets in every month should break it down Mm -hmm. and should that minimum should include interest plus some sort of principle a little bit of principal at least. Yeah, I would think so. I was really surprised to see that. It could be that maybe she skipped, I don't know. I don't want to point fingers here, but maybe maybe you missed a payment. And in that case, when you miss a payment, there's fees associated with that. Your interest rates could go up and that could mean why your balance is increasing. Another sign that you need to have another way to pay these off in, in refinancing or modifying them perhaps. Okay, Ashley is unhappy with her bank. Yes. She said she and her husband are both very unhappy with the services being provided by their bank. All caps. All caps. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds legitimate. So she's been with them for 10 plus years and has seven accounts, including credit cards with them. And she wants to know how bad it would be to close those accounts and start over fresh. They're beyond frustrated. Yeah, I hear you. I actually wrote a piece about how to switch banks a few years ago. And I remember writing it and and realizing that it isn't that easy. I will be the first to say it's not going to be a super quick and easy transition, especially when you've got all these multiple accounts, you've been them with several for several years because it's your money and you want to migrate this money over seamlessly and without falling through any cracks. I would first start Ashley by talking to your bank 
and maybe you've already done this, but I don't know. So at the very least, start with expressing your just, just unhappiness with your bank and, and seeing if they can make good on whatever it is that you're unhappy about. Um, just like I would do this with a utility company, your cell phone company, your gym membership. And whenever you're unhappy with a service, think about their perspective. It's, it's easier for them to keep you in some ways than to just spend more money on marketing to get new uh, deposit accounts. So mm-hmm. start there. And if you're still unsuccessful and you still want to leave, you can. You absolutely can. And I encourage anyone who's unhappy with their bank for whatever reason to look around. The market is full of options. And mm-hmm. you can look at sites like Bankrate and NerdWallet, and you can read reviews online from the various financial bloggers who've done a lot of the good research and reviews to see where your money would be better parked. And it's not even about interest rate these days, right? Because who's getting any good interest rates? I mean, my I don't even care about what the interest rate is because what? It's like 0.001 versus 0.003. Like, <laughs> right. At the end of the day, it's it's not, not about the up. interest rate, right? <laughs> I mean, some some online banks are are promoting 1%, but you know, that could change overnight. That could just be a teaser rate. Right. And even at 1%, it's not really nothing to write home about. Nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. So more importantly, you want to find a bank where fees aren't going to come to bite you, you know, that you can bank there knowing that you're not going to be charged monthly account management fees and various ATM fees. And, you know, there are banks that are very, very fee friendly. And I would encourage you to start there. A lot of them are the online banks. Convenience is important. Is this bank accessible? Can you withdraw your money relatively quickly? Can you do quick transfers? That's the first step, obviously, is doing your research, finding the bank that you prefer. As far as transferring the money, this is where you have to be really careful. Because if you have any, say, automatic withdrawals, that are currently happening with your account, let's say you're automatically paying your bills through this bank account, when you make the transition, you want to make sure that there aren't any, that no balls get dropped, right? That your bills are still getting paid. Maybe for a month, you have to write checks to these lenders or creditors, Mm -hmm. or maybe you have to pay with your credit card. Just be aware of that. That's really the biggest, I think, uh, sticky point is that you have to just be really careful about when you make the transition and you're pulling your money over. Because it could take a couple of days or Mm -hmm. depending on your bank, it could take longer, it could take less. But just knowing the timing and how that might impact your ability to continue to pay your bills on time, that's one thing to be really, really hawkish about and careful Right. Other than and, that, that's, I mean, that's really the only difficulty I see. Yeah. And it sounds like they are very um, over it. So it is a bit of a hassle to switch over. But if you do it in a system process where you go through your bank balance ledger and write down everything that's come out and contact all of your um, lenders or all of your payees ahead of time, um, it might be a little bit of a frustration on this one time, but it sounds like this bank that they're dealing with is a frustration on a regular basis. Yeah. And if you don't want to have any like negative mojo with your money, right? No, so. I agree. And and the other thing, I mean, they are they have savings with this bank and they also have credit cards. So when I was talking about transferring all that, I was focused mostly on the deposit accounts that you have, mm-hmm. how to transfer your cash. Credit cards are a little different. So- yeah, you can always close out credit cards. But, you know, we always talk about on this show how 
when you close a credit card that can negatively impact your credit score, especially if you've had these cards for the 10 plus years you've had been with this bank. I would say that if if you can, um, try to keep the card with the longest history and the one that you've used most regularly open because it could impact your credit score. When you shut off a credit card, essentially you are eliminating that credit line, that credit limit from your overall credit availability that can have the potential to lower your credit score because about 30% of your credit score is made up of your debt to credit ratio. And if your credit, your access to credit shrinks, that raises the debt to credit ratio, assuming Mm -hmm. you have debt. Um, so just another thing to think about, maybe you don't shut off those credit cards. You do transfer the money over to a new bank, but you hold off on those credit cards if it could mean potentially dinging your credit score. Um, if it's, if you have a couple of cards and there's one with a very low credit line that you barely use, that's kind of new, I wouldn't be so worried about that, but I would be a little more concerned about a card that you've had for a long time with a large limit. Yeah, I think. Do you want to move on to Liz now? Yeah, let's go to Liz. Okay, so Liz knows that saving money is important, but she's still trying to figure out why it's important. She wants to know (laughs) what are some good and bad reasons to dip into your savings account and whether or not the type of account makes a difference. Well, I always say, like, don't save money just to save. Right. Have a goal in mind. And whether that's goal, whether that goal is to cover your butt in the event of an emergency. Additionally, there are goals out there that we all have to, you know, buy big expensive things that require saving over time, whether that's a car, a house, a trip, a family, a a wedding. And so, you know, give that savings some meaning and purpose and direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, saving. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. Saving for the point of saving is nearly impossible for me. I kind of like to lay out what my goals or my priorities are. And I know that you've had David Bach with Automatic Millionaire on, and he has a great chapter in his book about that. And once I get it set up um, where I put it in the savings bucket and it's labeled like vacation or new car, it's very easy to leave it be. I agree. I agree. And I think... With money, and you love the psychology of money, Rochelle, it's it's really about the, being able to visualize the goal, visualizing the purpose, tracking your your progress. And with savings, I really encourage you to do that, you know, not just to have this idea live in your head, but to actually create a vision board or, you know, have um, on your laptop, desktop screensaver, like the image of the house that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. I think those actions, those steps can actually move the needle quite a bit, studies have found at least. And also telling people about your savings goals can encourage you more to uh, not only save more frequently, but save more over over the time frame. She also asks, um, what are some good and bad reasons to dip into your savings account? Obviously, if you need the money, right? It's not even a choice. Like you have to take this money out because 
mm-hmm. you lost your job and you still have to pay your rent. You have debt. Sometimes people dip into savings to pay off their debt. I'd rather you dip into savings than to get in than use your credit card to pay off debt, right? Mm-hmm. Or like take out a, another loan to pay off the previous loan. I think that you know when it's a good reason. You know, it's not a good reason when you just want to buy something that's material or not necessary. It's needs versus wants, really. The type of account, I don't think really makes a difference when it comes to savings. I mean, we just got through one question talking about really, there's no point in comparing banks these days based on interest rate when you're talking about a short-term savings purpose. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, you have this savings bucket knowing that you might dip into it sometime in the next week, month, year. So really more finding a place that is FDIC insured, that's convenient, that is low fee or no fee, I think is is more important. I remember getting laid off in my 20s and I had all this savings. And I do think that there's this feeling like I shouldn't dip into savings because Mm -hmm. what if I need money again in a month? Or how am I going to rebuild? I spent so much time building up the savings. You almost don't want it don't want to move it. Mm-hmm. I just interviewed a guy who has all these student loans. And one of my advice pieces of advice to him was move money from your savings bond, which is earning nothing, um, and pay off some of that loan with it, which has a much mm-hmm. higher interest rate. And so what he has done so far is taken that money from the savings bond, moved it into his checking account, and it's just sat there. And he's really mm-hmm. having a hard time paying off the student <laughs> loan because he's like, I like the way it looks. in my bank account. And I completely understand that. There is, it's so rewarding, right? To see that money build up. Sure. If that's what you're motivated by, it's, it's really hard to readjust your, your mindset on that. The other thing um, I would like to ask Liz is, do you have an accountability partner, somebody you can talk to about your money? Um, So you'll know if you say it out loud, if you're trying to convince somebody um, that it's okay to take it out, if you're making up excuses for yourself or if (laughs) it's actually necessary. And so for me, if it's labeled emergency savings, I won't touch it unless I can't make ends meet any other way and I've exhausted all my other options. Mm. And then for retirement accounts, once I put it away, I don't touch it at all. Um, I've been lucky enough to not have any major medical or shelter needs. Um, And those would be the only two reasons I would ever really say to even remember that you have retirement accounts because you definitely don't want to take the money out of those accounts. I agree. Thanks for adding that. Yeah, I think that it's very tempting to take money sometimes out of your 401k or your Roth IRA and you can, you, you can take out a loan, a personal loan, interest-free from your 401k often, but mm-hmm. people have to realize that sometimes the term to pay that back is quite short. The window is small. And if you leave the company or you lose the job, you have to usually pay back that loan in full quickly. Yeah, that's a terrifying thought. And, and you and can't contribute overlooked. to the 401k while you're while you have this outstanding balance. Yeah. So it's really costing you a lot more money um, to borrow from that than you'd ever want to bother with. So Right. But Liz, um, hopefully this gives you some uh, encouragement to continue saving and to use that savings when you need it. Don't feel hesitant if it really me- if, if really this is the only way for you to make ends meet mm-hmm. sometimes. That's what your savings is for. Sure. And one last question from Abby. Take it away. 
Okay, so Abby is 24 and a full-time student who works part-time, 15 to 20 hours a week, and she's making about $500 to $600 every two weeks. She has $6,000 in a tax-free savings account and is in the process of saving $1,500 in an emergency fund. She wants to know what savings margin she should be in. Well, I always say uh, saving 10% of your paycheck is a good start. Continuously until you have about six months of savings. And she's 24. So I'm not worried that if she, once she emerges into the workforce from school and at some point loses her job in the next three or four years, because anything can happen, Mm -hmm. um, that she won't, she'll, she won't have a hard time finding another job. Um, it's more like if you're in your fifties and you get laid off, that can be difficult to find your next job that pays the same amount of money with a lot of the same perks. But Mm -hmm. with a lot of the financial advisors I've had on so money who work with millennials, while for everybody else, they say six to nine months, a year is a great uh, amount to have saved up all, you know, think about how much you spend in a given month on needs, multiply that by six to nine or 12 but for a millennial who's 24, who's right out of school, I would say you know, even just three to six months is fine mm-hmm. to start with because you're not also making that much money. I have to say she's doing pretty well. More. Yeah, she sounds like she's right where she needs to be. <laughs> I, I wasn't saving any money as a student. <laughs> I wasn't even make. I wasn't making money, let alone saving money as a student, a full-time student. So Abby, Abby my hat's off to you. Sure. Congratulations, Abby. Um, And keep doing what you're doing and, um, you know, save for your emergency fund and then start up your car fund. And then you can focus on um, building up something so that you can take care of your own living expenses after college. And then you can wait really um, to worry about investing until after you've got your immediate short terms need met. Right. I mean, think about when you're going to graduate, what are going to be some of the costs that you will soon encounter. And that could be rent. It could be needing a car. So with that in mind, uh, like we talked about with Liz, you know, have a goal in mind, visualize it and, and steer your savings towards that. And once you get the job, you can then look into using some of your income. I would say another 10%, including a company match into your 401k or whatever retirement plan they hopefully offer you. And as far as tips to get started, I think doing it automatically is the best way. Every paycheck you get, you automatically tell your bank, okay, $50 or $60, whatever 10% amounts to goes immediately into a separate silo or bank account. You just set it and forget it. And every time you get paid, you know that that's always, you're always looking out for yourself first. Yeah. And Abby, you might want to sit down with um, anybody that is helping to provide for your expenses currently. So I don't know what your situation is, but if perhaps your parents are helping to provide for you while you're in school, you might just sit down with them and find out what some of the expenses that they're already covering for you are so that you can start adding those in. And then you can just put that in a savings account. um, But you'll know like, you know, somebody's already providing my cell phone for me, so I'll need another $75 and start kind of setting it aside as if you're paying that bill already and let it build up in a savings account for you. Great advice. Rochelle, thank you so much for really 
being a fantastic co-host. I learned a lot listening to you. I really oh, enjoyed it. Did you have fun? Honored. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe my first podcast was um, with Barnoosh. So. Well, I would love to have you back on at some point and we you know, want to help you build that Facebook group. I think that's a fantastic idea. And like I said, I'd be willing, more than willing to help out and join a session and talk about anything you guys want to talk about. But obviously, if you want to read any of my books, would also love that. Um, I would love that. I have to ask you as a loyal listener, what's one thing that you really want different or more of or less of? Any advice? So hard. Um, I'll tell you what some of the um, favorite things that have been over the year. I love when you um, interviewed the parents. I thought that was really interesting to see you interview your own parents and then also Ramit Sadie's mom. I believe you interviewed her. I thought that was amazing. So as a parent, it's always great to know what other parents are doing and you're always wondering, am I doing enough? So it's always really fun to hear the parents' perspective, especially of people who are really successful. And my other um, favorite thing was the series that you did about the millionaires next door. And then absolutely, of course, the um, guest co-host. I think this is great to get your listeners in and talking and um, give them a platform to be able to share their opinions and and just get to hear you guys, you know, yeah, it's I, I'm, great. I hog the mic so much during the week. It's nice to bring on some of the listeners and, and learn about who you are and give, get this great feedback. I think that's so invaluable. And are you a parent? I am a parent. Something yes. I didn't know. Well, that's well, how old are your kids or a kid? Well, actually we started quite early. So, um, our youngest is actually a sophomore in college. No way. Yes. Here I am thinking you're like in your early 30s and maybe you are. Yeah, I'm um, I'm in my late 30s. And so, like I said, we started very early um, and so we're done very early. So, oh yeah, gosh. that's kind of my new pivot because I'm um, a recent empty nester. And <laughs> I'm a recent my full nester and you're a recent empty nester. <laughs> yeah. Life is yeah. so funny that way. Another little funny thing. um, My daughter was actually also due on March 7th. So um, she didn't come till March 14th. What what day did your daughter end up arriving on? If I had to wait till March 14th, I don't don't know if I would have made it. (laughs) Well, that's so good. Did she come on the 7th for you then? She came on the 3rd. Oh, um, good. Induced because I was just beyond huge and she was sizing large too. And I was already at like almost 40 weeks at that point. So I, I was unsure about in getting induced. I am all about let it happen naturally, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> there were just, uh, there were enough reasons that my doctor felt it was safe and fine to deliver uh, a little early, just a few days early. And I have to say, you know, while on the one hand I did feel a little weird about it, it was also so nice to know mm-hmm. that this is the day I'm going to have the baby. So the day before you could get so much done. <laughs> yes. Well, congratulations. Enjoy it. And babies are always a blessing. And I'm so happy to hear that you're doing well. And um, thank you, Rochelle. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm not trying to rush you off here, but I I, you're at work right now. So I I really thank you for taking the time out to to join us all and being um, such a great co-host and loyal fan of the show and wishing you continued success with your pivot Thank you. And your Facebook group 
And yeah, so please find me um, maybe through the link in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in I'm the show notes. I'm not sure how easy it will be to find me. Um, yeah, and Facebook's a, a little crowded. So we will absolutely yeah. include the link. When you go to somoneypodcast.com, click on this episode. And in the notes, we will provide you with the direct link to that Facebook group. Thank you, Farnish. You've been awesome. Thanks, Rochelle. Have a great weekend. 